0: Welcome and thank you for joining me. This is the seventh episode of Flourishing Better Bible Instruction. I'm your host, David Grills, a high school Bible teacher. In this episode, I'm going to shift gears away from the philosophy or the why of Bible teaching and move toward the what and the how. So this being the first, I'm going to start at the beginning with the first unit of my Old Testament survey course, which is really focused on what is the Bible and what is the story of the Bible. The first unit is about two weeks worth of content. Each class is 75 minutes long, so obviously in this podcast I'm going to have to really skim over that content. Let me start by giving you the goals of this first unit. And then I'll get into some of the details, uh, certain key lessons or readings, tools, etc., as well as assessments. Again, this will have to be very quick. And at the end of this podcast, I'm also going to make some book recommendations for you. As this first unit is foundational to the rest of what we learn, I teach it with that in mind. So any content in this first unit and any skills or approaches that we learn, They are all geared to being reused and built upon for the rest of the course. For example, we have a class set of NIV cultural background study Bibles. And at the beginning of that study Bible, there is a set of 12 cultural background issues. This content uh, is helpful in understanding the rest of the Old Testament as we go forward. So that's an example of something that we learn that supports our future learning. The content of that article is a little bit academic and 12 is a lot to take in, so we generally focus on two or three ideas that come up over and over again, for instance, deep reality, the idea that history is less important in the scriptures than what God is doing in the history. And the early skills that students will gain in this first unit and then we'll reuse are close reading skills, inquiry skills as well as note-making and other more how-to-be-a-student-in-a-bible-classroom skills. So let's zoom in a little bit. On the first day of each class, I like to have a circle. Uh, And in the circle, it's a learning hopes circle. I want my students to articulate what it is they feel they're missing or would like to learn about the Bible. My students come from a variety of backgrounds. Some are very exposed to scripture through home and church, and others aren't. I've learned to be very specific about what I want in this learning hope circle. I used to be a hopes and fears circle, and I would hear, you know, I hope to get a good grade, and then the fear would just be the inverse of that, and I hope I don't fail. So, emphasizing learning and talking about hopes only, I tend to get better information from my students. Generally, they hope to go deeper, or they hope to look at different parts of the Old Testament they haven't looked at before. And it also gives me a bit of an idea of where students are at from a Bible literacy perspective. I interject a little bit during this time just to say, yeah, we're going to look at that or hold on toward the end of the course, we're going to get to that area. And then as the course progresses, I will remind them of what was said in this circle. This is a a kind of buy-in for the students. It creates an opportunity for them to use their voice, creates an opportunity for us to kind of collaborate. It's important that they know that we are learning together. Going forward, I may take a recording or take notes from this discussion so that I can be more specific. After this great exercise, we go through some of the tools and resources that we're going to be using for the next couple of weeks and beyond. One thing that uh, I introduce on this first day is something called our unit study guide. Uh, This is fairly new to me. I've only been doing it for about two years. And what the study guide does is it gives students everything they need ahead of time which helps them to be ready. It helps them to be primed for the learning ahead. The study guide will have a thematic title, followed by an introduction that serves to remind them of their prior learning, as well as getting them ready for the learning ahead, bringing in some ideas for them to think about. After the introduction is a deep hope. It could be a driving question if you're more PBL oriented. In this case, for me, it's a deep hope. And Generally the Deep Hope uses WE language. I want to learn with them and it uh, forecasts kind of the summative result of our learning over the unit. After that I have a list of resources, things that they will need to have on hand or that I will provide, then assessments that are coming. Finally the last section is a small two-week or so calendar that identifies days off, when the assessments will happen. Those sorts of things. I find all in all this helps my students visualize what's going to happen and they're just more ready than they were before I made study guides. Another thing I like to do on the first day is get right into the text. On the first day, this is going to be Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 2 verse 3. I use a reader's Bible that breaks the text into logical sections, doesn't have chapters or verses or section headings. So as I read to them the first section and I ask them to follow along with their study Bibles and to be ready with their comments or questions on what we're reading, they notice right away that I keep going past the end of chapter 1 to complete the first story on verse 3 of chapter 2. Even on this first day as we read, which is something fairly innocuous but maybe also powerful, students realize there's something a little different in hearing it from a reader Bible. The Reader Bible, by the way, uses the New Living Translation, which is also very accessible for high school students. I have colleagues in other schools that also use the Immerse Bible, and in their situation, they may require the students to read the book independently, along with the study that they do in class. I tend to favor reading to my students so that I know that they hear it and that we can engage it together. My students tend to enjoy hearing it this way and it takes away the, the homework aspect of Bible reading. As I read this opening section of the Bible, the creation story, students are very familiar with the story, but they maybe haven't thought about it, or haven't been asked to generate questions or comments. So at the end of the first reading, I certainly do get comments aside from the different arrangement. Often students will ask where the water has come from, or why each day starts with an evening rather than a morning. The practice of active listening and generating questions and comments is the beginning of their inquiry skill build-up, as well as their Bible interpretation build-up. So that generally is what my first day will look like. Each day for the next two weeks, we're going to be trying to understand two different questions. One is, what is the Bible? And the other is, what is the story of the Bible? To answer the what is the Bible question, we do get into some of the technical data about the Bible. How many books? How many authors? Where was it written? When was it written? How was the canon established? What was the process for getting our English translations? That kind of what is the Bible content is the beginning. And as I describe it to you now, it sounds maybe boring or familiar, but there is a lot of new content. and. It's a good opportunity just to let them know that, yeah, there's still more to learn. For example, I'll ask, uh, what language was the Bible written in? And fairly quickly, students will come up with the big two, Hebrew and Greek. So far, I don't think I've had a student volunteer Aramaic. And so I'll talk about, well, what is Aramaic and who spoke Aramaic? And when I ask, where was it written? They're surprised to find that portions may have been written in Africa, the value of asking questions of students that they probably don't know the answer to and being ready to answer questions that they ask me is that we see not knowing something is, is the beginning rather than the end of the discussion. I really like my students to work the problem rather than be given an answer and then regurgitate it back to me. Ultimately, there is a standard of this is what we know that all of us agree on. And by the end of the unit, there is an assessment where A lot of that information is recorded and reorganized in an infographic. A great resource that we use during this time is the Bible Project, How to Read the Bible series. You can find it on YouTube or their website, BibleProject.com. The Bible Project videos are a great tool overall. Sometimes there's a little bit of emphasis that's different than what we might emphasize in class or an understanding that um, we didn't get out of the text ourselves. In those cases, it's a great way to talk about how there's such diversity in the body of Christ. After we talk about and analyze and understand the facts about the Bible, then we move on to, well, what is the story? How is that story communicated to us? I teach the Bible as literature, and in the book Recommendations at the end of this podcast, there are a couple of resources there if you're unfamiliar with what I mean by teaching the Bible as literature. In short, I want my students to understand that the Bible is this magnificent piece of literature, that it was written by real people in a real time, in a real place, with an audience and circumstances, and that there are methods and tools and devices used in the writing that matter to our understanding of the writing. Students also find this new and interesting, and for some it deepens their interest in looking at the scriptures, interest in the stories that are familiar to see if there's something else that they've missed all along. Again, the Bible Project videos do a great job of talking about narrative and poetry and prose discourse. They talk about characters as well as plot and setting. This first foundational unit provides some breakthrough moments for my students where they realize that there's more to what they are familiar with, and I hear about it even late in the semester when they are doing reflections or even their culminating reflection where they'll look back and say, you know, hey, I had no idea that these characters were connected, or I had no idea that this setting was important to the story, or that I should suspect something bad will happen here. This is really a goal of mine, is to shake them from whatever stupor or malaise they are in as Bible students. And it's a gentle shaking that just really comes from making it interesting and providing some newness. Newness is not the goal. It's just a means to the goal of greater curiosity for my students. On top of all of the technical and then beginning with sort of how it's written, the literary aspect of the Bible, we look at the overall story of Scripture broken into six parts. You may be familiar with Bartholomew and Goheen and their drama of Scripture. Again, this will be in the book recommendations. Presenting the Bible as six acts is very helpful to my students. And we refer back and forth. We talk about where did this happen in what we call redemptive history in the class, or God's story of redemption. Students also use the Bible Project's summary of what the story is, that God made humanity to rule on his behalf, but humanity was the problem, so God is making a new humanity. Christ is the first. Framing the whole of the story of Scripture this way, helps kids to connect to it and then the intertextuality the idea that all of these stories are related and earlier stories help inform the later stories we start with the promise in the fall in Genesis 3:15 of the wounded victor or the snake killer for fun i phrase this as who's the baby and as we follow along in the story and we see that this person is having difficulty having children or there's a promise of a child I try to bring my students to a place where they can imagine the story as it unfolds, thinking, okay, this promise was made generations ago. Is it happening now? And building up that anticipation that they can then look back and say, hey, this really builds the case for Christ in the New Testament. It's important for me to model this in the early weeks by looping back. We also see how the writers of the Bible did the same thing. My students learned the Tanakh format of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, or the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Learning this arrangement does a couple of things. It shows how the first readers of the Old Testament understood the story of God's redemption. And it also brings about understanding of the literature and how it's rooted in a real time, a real place, and a real people. During this first unit, we do a couple of activities that are foundational to the rest of what we do. One of them is called a QFT, which stands for Question Formation Technique, and this activity does a great job of honing students' inquiry skills, helps them to ask better questions to be more confident about asking questions, and it begins with a Q-Focus. A Q-Focus is a topic or a line of questioning that you want to introduce for your students. In this first unit, it might be day three before we do our first QFT. After the first two days, now they are starting to rethink what they think about the Bible. My students have already practiced generating questions from our readings, so now any questions they've had in the past that have forgotten about can now be raised again. So this first unit might have a question focus or Q focus along the lines of, you know, what questions do you now have about the Bible, or The Old Testament is an ancient Near Eastern document. Then the students generate questions. There are a few rules. In general, the rules are don't discuss your questions, don't edit your questions, everyone contributes, turn any statements into questions. For some students, this is a a review. They may ask a question that has already been addressed in class, maybe a question raised by a classmate. Which is great, and for other students, they want to add on to questions that they've heard or have asked themselves in the first couple of days. Because this is our first QFT, we will leave it with the first number of questions that get asked. Some of them will be discussed, and then they go up on the wall, and as we complete the unit, I'll address questions as we go along. In the next QFT, we extend it a little bit by asking them to take their closed questions, questions that can be answered with one sentence or A yes and no answer to a more open question that requires some discussion. It has some nuance. The next skill we take up is a kind of close reading, and there are various ways to do this. Initially, I've called this see, think, wonder, and have done so for a number of years. Going forward, I'm going to call it see, connect, and wonder, because really the think is where I want them to connect back, as I've been talking about this sort of cyclical approach to reading scripture, the intertextuality. C encourages the kids to recognize what's on the page. So as we go through the story, a text, I want them to notice what is being written. Why is there duplication here? Why is there repetition? Why is there something out of joint? A really good example is uh, Genesis chapter 11 when you look at the genealogy of Tara's line and just how strange it is after having looked at several other genealogies specifically in chapters 4 and 5, and learning about genealogies. When we get to chapter 11 and we do our Sea Connect Wonder, our class is able to fill up two or three whiteboards with observations in the sea, just looking at the text. For example, in that particular genealogy, it talks about Haran dies in the presence of his father. Milka is married to her uncle, and it ends with Sarai unable to have a child. Students are then asked to make connections between this text and either reading in the previous chapters or what they know already about how the story develops. In this case, you could talk again about who's the baby. We could talk about how genealogies don't normally work out this way and think about the meaning. Students may look at the notes in their study Bibles at this time and start seeing connections that they didn't think about and then start processing their own theories. Finally, the wonder section is about big questions, application. So they might ask, so what does this mean for the rest of the story? Or how is it okay for people to be marrying their nieces and nephews and uncles and so on? Again, questions and discussion about these questions is very important to the whole of how I teach the Bible. This type of close reading is something that we do regularly. Ultimately, a part of their summative is a close reading of an unfamiliar text, usually from the New Testament, where they will then take their prior knowledge and connect it to this text, or they will interpret this text from their Old Testament understanding, and finally ask some questions and try to pursue answers to them. The final activity in this first unit as an introduction is making a visual note. In the past, I have designed this visual note, choosing the visuals myself. Going forward I'm going to challenge the students to come up with some visuals. It could be that in the first unit I will still model this and then ask them for alternatives. And what the visual note does is it helps students to connect what they're learning in a couple of places in their brain so they can call on it later on. Students regularly tell me how the images help them to remember the text or vice versa. This particular visual note is a review of everything that we've learned up until this point, and it falls the day before we begin our unit project. Speaking of projects, we are a PBL school here at Hamilton District Christian High. This particular project is not PBL. It's a dessert project. It's an introductory project, but it does give them tools in how to express what they're learning. And what the students do is create an infographic that summarizes in their own way all of the content that we've learned. Categories include the data about the Bible, authors, number of books, languages, continents, you know, how many manuscripts do we have of the New Testament, what kind of reliability do we have, how was the canon created, what are the questions that are asked about any book that was a potential inclusion in the canon. Then. Literary elements like character, setting, plot, that kind of thing. While students are creating their infographic and going back over their notes, again, this is foundational information that will come up again, so this review sort of project is very helpful for the rest of the semester. I call them up one by one and we have our first recorded conversation. By recorded, what I mean is it's an assessed conversation. And in this conversation, a few things happen. One, they learn that I'm on their side. And two, they are responsible for their learning. Let me explain these a little bit. These recorded conversations always have the same two questions. What are we learning? And what has been meaningful to you about what we're learning? As they answer the first question, generally students present in a couple of different ways. One kind of student will give me all of the facts without any sort of the why or what matters, the big ideas behind the facts. Other students will immediately gravitate toward the big ideas, and I have to ask them to give me some examples. As I have this conversation with them, they see that I'm rooting for them, that I'm rephrasing things. I'm trying to get them to tell me what they're learning. Often students are intimidated by the idea of coming to speak to me one-on-one, but afterward they find it was a very good experience for them. The second question is an area where students can grow through the semester their first attempts generally look again at novelty. Hey, I didn't know this and this is why it's meaningful to me. Over time I encourage students to get away from novelty and newness to thinking about why a text matters or why what we've been learning matters. Student maturity really shapes how they answer the second question in the first semester in the fall. Students often can't answer that question well in the first few units. But students in late spring in the second semester really get this question quite readily. Students who do all of their work and participate fully have the best answers to the second question. So by the end of this first unit, students will have a solid grasp of what is the Bible and what is the story of the Bible, and then we're ready for the next unit, which encompasses the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So that is a brief overview of what we do in our first seven days of instruction, plus two or three days to complete our project and have our conversations. If you would like more information, please connect with me on Twitter. My handle is David Grills. Let me wrap up this episode with a few book recommendations. For a classroom Bible, we do use the NIV translation, just because it's easier for students to read but I do really appreciate the cultural background study bible as a warning some of the articles are academic or potentially controversial depending on your community along with our study bible I read to them from the immersed bible which is a fantastic resource it's broken into several books six actually beginnings which is the torah kingdoms which is first and second samuel first and second kings the prophets poets and Chronicles. It's similar to the Tanakh organization, so it suits the Old Testament class very well, broken up this way. Messiah is the sixth book. It's the whole of the Old Testament. A good portion of positive student feedback comes from the use of the Immersed Bible. Students really hear the story in a different way when it's presented in logical sections and in larger sections rather than chapter by chapter. These next books are great teacher resources, One is How to Read the Bible as Literature and Get More Out of It by Leland Ryken. It's an older book, but uh, foundational to understanding the Bible as literature and getting the most out of the Bible's literariness. A newer one from Matthew Mullins is Enjoying the Bible, Literary Approaches to Loving the Scriptures. If you are new to the idea of teaching the Bible as literature, um, I recommend either one of them. I would also recommend The Drama of Scripture by Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen. It describes the whole of redemptive history in six acts. Three of those acts occur in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament. Another book that I'm excited about using that I've only just started to read, so I'm not sure if this is a recommendation or not, but Seven Things I Wish Christians Knew About the Bible from Michael F. Byrd, And already I've seen topics that uh, we address in class, and I maybe could address them better after reading this book. Finally, I want to recommend a series from Crossway called Short Studies in Biblical Theology, and it takes various motifs and follows them through scripture. For instance, Chaos to Cosmos, Redemptive Reversals, The Serpent, The City of God, and others. Thank you for bearing with me as I gave this very quick overview of what we learned in our first unit. Next time around, it'll be unit two. Take care.